You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. John Harper, Vice President of Clinical Sciences at LifeCell Corporation of New Jersey and Adjunct Professor of Biomedical Science at the University of Texas in Houston. Today we are discussing bioprosthetics. Welcome, Dr. Harper. Thank you, Dr. Hill. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Harper, what exactly is a bioprosthetic and how is it different than a piece of plastic mesh? Well, a bioprosthetic is, is something that is derived from a biological material like uh, skin or fascia or some other biologically derived material. And that bioprosthesis is processed in a variety of different ways so that it can be used in the operating room. And it's different from a plastic because if it's prepared properly, the body sees this bioprosthesis as tissue and therefore cells grow into it, vascularization occurs, and it becomes integrated into the patient. Now, why does the body see this as its own tissue? I mean, this certainly isn't the patient's own tissue. Well, it's very interesting because the scaffold around tissue or inside tissue is highly conserved between people, between human beings, and actually between species as well, across species. So if you prepare the scaffold properly, if you prepare it by not damaging the architecture and not taking away any of the normal components, then when you place this into a patient, the patient sees it as their own tissue. Now, if you alter it in some way, our body is is highly tuned to foreign materials or damaged materials. This is why when we have damage to tissue with injury, our body is activated. Things are thrown into gear to clean up that damage. So the goal with making a bioprosthesis is that you have to do as little damage or little uh, alteration to the scaffold as possible so that the body will not see it as damaged tissue. Now, when you mention scaffold, Anatomically, what are you referring to? I'm really talking about the structural component of tissue. When you think of skin, for example, the dermis has a lot of cells in it, fibroblasts and capillary endothelial cells and what have you. But it's primarily a collagen matrix that is also composed of elastin, proteoglycans, other matrix components. So think about it as a scaffold that workers use to clean windows or paint bridges. It's something that cells crawl around on, and it really organizes our tissues. But there are no cells within the scaffold. Not the scaffold itself. You can take the cells away from a scaffold, and you can have just this completely acellular biological scaffold that the patient's body can see as tissue, and the patient's cells will migrate in as though it's their own tissue. And there are no antigenic properties to it? None that we've seen. Now, it's possible that if you damage the scaffold by taking components away from it that are supposed to normally be there, or that you unravel some of the proteins in the scaffold, that you might expose new things that the patient's body is not normally uh, used to seeing. And that can trigger uh, this uh, kind of rejection response. But if it's done properly and carefully enough, we, we don't see the type of uh, rejection that you would see from tissue from one person to another. Now, we spoke before about encapsulation with plastic prostheses. Does the human acellular tissue matrix you're referring to 
Does that encapsulate? And if it doesn't, why not? Well, it depends on how it's produced. You can actually take, and it's been shown, we've shown it, others have shown it. You can take a biological material and process it in such a way that it becomes inert. And if you do that with the biological material, it will become encapsulated and it will behave just like plastic. The way you keep that from happening is that you preserve that scaffold as best you can and then the patient sees it as their own tissue. So you can take a bioprosthesis, or I should say a biological material, and, and try to make a bioprosthesis out of it. And if you, if you make it inert by chemical treatments that are not normal, then you can make it behave like a foreign body. And would, ideally, the bioprosthetic heal in, in a regenerative fashion? Yes. And the way, the way to think about that is our tissues are always undergoing a regenerative process. This is something that's going on in all of our connective tissues and our mineralized tissues. That's what we call an intrinsic tissue regenerative response. So the goal with the bioprosthesis is to try to take a tissue deficit, put the scaffold or the bioprosthesis in that deficit, and trick the body into executing this regenerative response, not the scarring response. And we talked before about what that scarring response is. And scar is what most physicians uh, are, are aware of and familiar with. And this is when you have a soft tissue injury and the body puts down a provisional scaffold, and in most cases like a blood clot. And that blood clot is there to do something temporarily. It doesn't do it for very long, but it sits there and it contains different uh, molecules that trigger an inflammatory response. And once inflammation starts and breaks down the blood clot and replaces it with scar tissue, that scar matures and becomes that, that new tissue that we know of as scar tissue. Now, clinically, this would make a big difference by having a regenerative process, that being a human acellular tissue matrix, then a plastic mesh encapsulated. Absolutely. Um, I think that we've seen that patients who come back and that have bioprostheses uh, implanted in them typically don't feel these prostheses. They can do their normal life because the body's not scarring around it. You reduce the risk of in incarcerating nerves and causing chronic pain. We've seen this time and time again. There's this uh, whole literature developing around uh, meshes used in inguinal hernia repair. It's a discomfort. may not be a, a frank pain, but patients are familiar with it. They can feel it every waking hour when they're doing their normal activities. In these bioprosthetics, where do you get the tissue? How do you process it? What exactly is it? Well, today we take donated human skin. And this is skin that comes from tissue banks around the country, patients that have been evaluated for suitability to donate organs or tissues. And we take that skin and we have a process by which we remove the cells. And as you know, the cells are what cause rejection. Uh, we take away the cells. But in doing so, we have to make sure that we don't alter the biochemistry and the architecture of that scaffold that's left behind. And, and then finally, we, we uh, process it in such a way that it can be stored in the operating room and preserved. Because it's a biologic, it's like, think about it like food. If you leave food out on the counter, uh, it goes bad. It can get broken down by oxidation and other types of degradative processes. So today, we freeze-dry the material, and it's rehydrated in the operating room. Now, you can get bioprostheses from all kinds of sources. We think that you might be able to get them from animal sources, the trick around animal sources, for example, pigs, pig skin, is that the process by which you take the pig tissue and turn it into a bioprosthesis is very critical because it's a different species. We have to make sure that we 
maintain the integrity of that scaffold so that we don't see that it's a different species. How do you take out the cells without damaging the scaffold? Well, we've over the years identified some detergents that are very, very uh, mild, non-denaturing detergents that will dissolve cells and the cell membranes and wash them away, but not remove any of the components of the extracellular matrix in that tissue. These are very specific detergents. Now, there are very stringent detergents also uh, that some people use or have used historically. But these not only take away the cells, but they also take away other key components of that matrix. And when that starts happening, it starts revealing new things that the patient sees as being foreign. So that's not a good thing. These detergents have to be very, very mild. And if the patient who donated the skin has certain diseases, are they excluded from donating skin? Absolutely. The U.S. FDA has specific guidelines of how you test and, and determine the suitability of people to donate organs and tissues. Um, there are, first of all, probably the least stringent of which would be the social and medical history. They review the patient's uh, medical history. They go to the attending physician, their family doctor, find out if they had any other health problems that would suggest that they might be at risk of either having a transmittable disease or uh, or being infected with a, with a transmissible disease. Uh, once that's done, they talk to the next of kin or the, their, the nearest family member that might know about their social history. But then it becomes very stringent. Then the patient's blood is tested for a variety of viruses and antibodies against viruses that would suggest they had been exposed to viruses like hepatitis or HIV. And once this screening process and uh, evaluation process is completed, the FDA considers these tissues safe to be transmitted from one person to another. Now, on top of the screening process, the way we remove the cells and the way we process this tissue into a bioprosthetic has its own additional safety measures that, that inactivate viruses, for example. So it's not only the donor screening and, and suitability uh, uh, evaluation, but it's also the, the process by which we make the bioprosthesis. So can we assume that the patient does not have to worry about contracting any diseases or have any allergic response to this human acellular tissue matrix? I think that we have reduced the risk of disease transmission to such a very low level that when you evaluate that risk against the benefit that they're going to get medically from the use of these bioprotheses, there's just no comparison. Uh, with respect to allergies, we really haven't seen any cases of allergic response that we've been able to actually identify as an allergic response. As you know, as a surgeon, when you operate on some people, they will have very unique reactions just to the operation. We see that sometimes when the bioprosthetic is used, but we really don't know whether that's specific to the bioprosthesis or it's just a reaction to having an operation. When you talk about the scaffold, is that really a collagen scaffold? I would say that the majority of the protein structure of the scaffold is collagen, probably 80 to 90 percent or maybe even more. But the other components of the scaffold would be elastin, in the case of skin, uh, proteoglycans, which are specialized proteins that have very special carbohydrate chains on that bind growth factors and help deliver growth factors to cells. So I'd say collagen represents most of the architecture, but the biochemistry of the matrix are many, many other proteins, some of which we know, some of which we haven't really identified yet. And it seems that this collagen matrix does not elicit any foreign body reaction, even though it's certainly human, but it's not the identical human. Right. Collagen is highly conserved across humans. The, our body sees collagen as collagen. And we think, anyway, that it's, it's possible that 
even some animal collagens, if prepared properly, can be seen as just collagen to the human. Finally, have there been any long-term reactions that have been unanticipated? We haven't seen any long-term unanticipated uh, reactions that patients have. I think that uh, depending on how you use the bioprosthetic, if you're using it in the abdomen, sometimes we will see the abdomen stretching, bulging a little bit. As you know, this can be, this can be fixed. This is not really a dangerous situation. It can be um, revised by the surgeon. Uh, so I think that uh, those physicians out there who have patients coming back with kind of a bulging belly and they're not particularly happy, they're not really in that big of a danger of getting some of their intestines trapped outside the body. It's not true a true hernia, but they have a, a, a quality of life issue that can be fixed. I want to thank Dr. John Harper, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing bioprosthetics. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.